And I'd like to ask the rest of you to turn to that passage of Scripture that Carrie just read for us in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. You may have noticed that as he read the passage, it uh, passed through one of those I am statements of Jesus. Uh, Last week we looked at another one of those, I am the vine. Uh, Commentators and the Bible expositors say there are seven of these statements. There's probably actually nine of them, but they kind of leave one out and combine two together, so they come up with seven. I think they like uh, nice uh, special numbers, you know. But uh, the scripture in John's Gospel, Jesus makes reference to himself in several significant ways, saying things like, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheepfold, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And then in this passage, in his conversation with Martha, uh, as they are mourning the death of Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. We're here today to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded in this passage by Jesus himself that he is the resurrection and the life. Those of you that know the story well, you know how it ends. He shows up at the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus comes out of the grave. But let me give you just a little bit of background to bring you up to speed. Jesus is coming to that crucial point in his ministry and in his life when uh, he is going to Jerusalem for the last time. He is going to be arrested, and a mockery of a trial will occur, and he will end up being crucified at the end of that week. He knows these things are coming, and so he has uh, removed himself a bit from Jerusalem uh, to spend these last days with his disciples and to uh, give them teaching and that sort of thing, Uh, knowing that it's dangerous to be around Jerusalem and wanting to be within the perfect time of the Father and of the prophecies and and of his sacrifice as the Lamb of God. Well, I'm going to tell you all about that, Todd, I promise, because he had a very special reason for going back. Here he is, removed, spending this quiet time, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are three people, two sisters and a brother, that he has a very close and special relationship with. He loves them dearly. Uh, Sometimes I think maybe it's hard to think of our Lord uh, in those kinds of terms, that he had favorites, that he enjoyed certain people more than others. But the reality is that all of us do, and it kind of has to go along with that reciprocity that happens between people as they share their lives with one another and develop friendships. You could hardly say that Jesus was um, uh, enjoyed the company of the Pharisees, for example. 
You know from all of Scripture, as you read the Gospels, that there was constant conflict, for the most part, with that group of people. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus uh, were a, a family unit that he enjoyed. He liked to be with them. He liked to be in their home. Uh, he loved them. They were special to him. And Lazarus had become ill, and the sisters sent for Jesus. This created a bit of a dilemma, because... Uh, Jesus is removed from the scene, um, avoiding uh, any direct confrontation in Jerusalem, and uh, he gets the word that Lazarus is sick, and it says in, in the scripture, um, when Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. Then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, <coughs> seriously, the Jews were just, that was, I, I added that, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and, and you're going there again? Uh, let's just hang out here. It's safer. And um, he says to them, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after that, he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I can awaken him out of sleep. And they think, Well, that's a relief. He's only asleep now. So why don't we just stay? Because if he's asleep, he's going to wake up and be fine. They totally missed the point of what he was saying. And so Jesus spoke very clearly to them, and he said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Thomas, the one who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. You know, as far as they were concerned, this was the final straw he wasn't going to get out of Jerusalem this time. He was for sure going to be in trouble. And uh, they're willing at this point to say, okay, let's just go and whatever happens is going to happen. We're probably all going to die together. So that's the mindset of the disciples. Jesus, meanwhile, is on a very specific mission. This is the last miracle that Jesus performs before he goes to the cross. This is the greatest miracle that he performs. It's very interesting that the most powerful and significant of all the miracles is the last miracle and also a, a miracle that, in a quirky sort of way, raises Lazarus and leads to his death. Because when Lazarus comes out of the grave, the Pharisees have reached their limit. We've got to get rid of this guy. If he keeps running around doing these kinds of things, we'll never be able to squash him. We've got to get rid of him. And so in a twist of irony, the very act of his most powerful demonstration of the miraculous becomes the very thing that focuses the attention on the insistence that they put him to death. And so that's kind of the background as he begins to make his way back toward Bethany, where Mary and Martha are mourning the death of Lazarus. For many years, 
as I read this passage and I listened to Martha's question, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Um, I, I felt that she was a little bit irritated that, uh, you know, he had delayed. But uh, in doing some further and deeper study, I realized the, the implication is Jesus only waited two days, but by the time he got back, Lazarus had been dead four days. What does that tell you? He was staying a day away. It was a day's journey distant where he was staying. It took a day for the messenger to get there, two days of waiting, and a day for him and the disciples to get back. Lazarus actually probably died shortly after the messenger left with the word to tell Jesus to come. And what Mary and Martha really both are expressing, and you, you know how this goes, you've been through these grieving moments yourself, as you look back and you wonder in your own mind, oh, if only this had happened, or if only that had happened, or if that hadn't happened, you think of the, the what-ifs, particularly if there's a sudden death or a traumatic death or something that just completely catches you off guard and you look at the sequence of events and you think to yourself, oh, if there was, if there was only a way that we could just go dial the clock back and make one little change, they're not so much irritated with Jesus. In fact, I'm not sure that they're irritated at all. They're sad. They're grieving. And what they're expressing to him is, if only you had been here when he got sick. If you had, if you had been in our home, this wouldn't be happening now. You, no one could die like this in your presence that you love so deeply. We, we know the stories of your great work, and if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And so as Martha goes to meet him, a little ways outside of town and begins to pour her heart out, uh, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now there's a dual conversation going on here. I don't want you to miss this kind of play on the words because Jesus has one thing in mind and Martha has something else in mind. And it's important because I want to come back to it at the end of the message and make a point for us this morning. Jesus says your brother will rise again. He already knows what he's going to do. He knows that, and we know from the scripture that he does because he tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead and I must go to wake him up. <laughs> you know, I'm planning to work a miracle here. Not even sure the disciples caught all of that, but we have it in the scriptures. And so Martha says to him, and this is verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What Martha is reciting here is good theology. This is what faithful, Bible-believing Jews believed in her time. That there would be a resurrection, that there would be a final judgment, and that those who were faithful to God 
in the you know the the practice of Judaism and the law of Moses like her brother Lazarus would rise again and he would come to life in the last day and so Jesus says to her I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me shall live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even the one that comes into the world. And with this, she goes to get her sister Mary. Jesus is talking to her about a present reality. Martha is talking to him about a future reality and eventual expectation. Their words are crossing uh, like ships crossing in the night. They're missing one another, as it were. Of course, Jesus perceives this, but Martha is quite oblivious. We know that because when they get to the tomb, the assumption is that Jesus wants to see where he's buried and wants to grieve with them. He is grieving with them. But the purpose for going to the tomb is not merely to see it. When he gets there, he asks them to have the stone removed. Now, in those days, as I'm sure most of you are aware, uh, many people, most people were buried above ground in caves or whatever, and they would uh, prepare these burial spots, and they would hew out the rock or whatever, and they would... uh, put their dead inside, wrapped up, and covered over with a stone. And then down the road when someone else died, uh, their body would be placed very much like we have in our mausoleums or those kinds of uh, places of interment. And so Lazarus has been in there for four days. And Martha, in the literal translation, says, Lord, no way. He stinks by this time. They're very upfront and real about the realities of death. And Martha is aware that after four days, Lazarus' body has begun to decay. And it is not going to be pleasant to take the stone from the front of that cave. She has no idea. She has no idea what Jesus has in mind. She has completely missed what he was saying to her in that conversation, even though she has expressed correctly the hope and the theology of Jewish conviction. She has missed the point that Jesus was driving home to her. We're here this morning on this Resurrection Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of Christendom looks back on this day to that event 2,000 years ago, and we review it and recall it in our mind, and we go over the stories and we read the Gospels, and we are reminded that we have a Savior who rose from the dead. 
we treat that often as an historical fact, which it is. There's no question in my mind. Don't misunderstand anything I'm saying this morning. There's no question in my mind that Jesus bodily came out of that tomb fully alive. He rose from the grave. And because of that, we believe and expect that one day we too will experience a resurrection. But oftentimes in our thinking, we are framing the right theology and we are still missing Jesus' point to Martha. The resurrection is a historical fact. And Lazarus would indeed rise again on the last day. But Jesus is saying something very different. He is giving a present reality in this moment of time that is true of his nature, of his character. And in doing so, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is not only the risen Savior, but He is the resurrection. It is inherent in His nature. Death cannot hold this one. He is the resurrection. And notice the divine order. Jesus reveals that He is the resurrection and the life. And there is always and must be resurrection before there can be life. As John focuses on that through his gospel, he means that in terms of eternal life, entering into the life of God and, and living forever in His presence. I am the resurrection and the life. What does this mean for us? To come to Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Well, the Bible describes us as creatures that exist with three major components to our nature. We are physical beings, we are spiritual beings, and we have a central core personality that expresses uh, our own uniqueness uh, in our body and in our, in our thinking and in our choosing and in our preferences, uh, the way that our mind works and our, our soul. Uh, we can think of ourselves as having a spirit, a soul, and a body. But the Bible tells us that as a consequence of sin, we are dead on all of those levels. The Bible says that we are dead in our spirit because we are separated from God. A spirit that is alive is one that is in union with God. To be dead is to be separated from Him. To be alive is to be connected with Him. And as soon as that sin was committed in the Garden of Eden, that thrust the entire race into the inheritance of that sin nature... We have all been born with dead spirits, separated from God, alienated by our sinfulness. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way, but God has laid on him the iniquity of a soul. 
Many people today want to have some kind of relationship with God. I'm going to say small g. They're hoping for some kind of spiritual connection. It's interesting that in surveys done across America that people often uh, reflect the idea that they are spiritual people, that they have spiritual interest, that they pursue uh, religious ideas, that many of them say that they're Christians. But the Scripture describes our condition as dead in trespasses and sin. And we are not able to connect with God. We are not able to approach Him because of that. And if we persist throughout our lives and die in that condition, we will continue to be separated from God. We have never been connected. We will just continue the disconnection throughout all of eternity in a place called hell. And that is essentially a place that is separate from the presence of God. There is, uh, among many other things that describe its nature, it is a place of eternal death because it is separated from God. And the very first thing that we need of Jesus is for Him to be the resurrection of our spirit in order to give us life. We need to be born again. We need to come to life. We need to be raised in our spirit. We need to be made alive in Christ. Paul defines this for us in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, particularly in the transition in our Bibles between chapters 1 and 2, when he says that we were once dead in trespasses and sins, and we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We were lost in this darkness and blackness and ugliness of a world separated from God. But He has raised us. He has renewed us. He has brought us to life. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And He has given us life in Jesus Christ to raise us up with Him and make us alive in Him so that we can have a reconnection with God and enter into that stream of life eternal. We need to come to Jesus as our resurrection for our spirit. We need to be resurrected in spirit. We need to come to life. Secondly, when we look at our lives, and I had a lot of time this week to think about that. Um, actually, I got to thinking about the room I was in at the hospital for most of the week. And um, it reminded me of a cross between prison and a zoo. It was 10 by 12. It had a bed in the middle. It had a bathroom facility beside the bed, but it, it didn't have any partitions. And it had a full glass front. It did have curtains, thankfully. But, it, it, and there I was. You know, if you open the curtains, I was like a monkey in a zoo. Kind of reminded me of, of going to Brookfield or, you know, something where... And people walk down the aisle and they look in the glass and there's all the creatures, you know. And, uh, and I didn't leave that room for over three days. You know, finally I, I did walk out on my own after a little while because uh, I, I just had it. And then one of the techs freaked out because I came out of my room with IV pole in hand, sock, stocking feet, walking the halls. 
You know, and it's like, are you going somewhere? Yes, anywhere but this room. I've got to walk for a while. It felt a little bit like that. So anyway, I, I say all that to say I had some time to think. And as I was uh, in my zoo, uh, thinking about this Sunday and thinking about the truth of that and thinking about the reality of life, friends, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that we're in trouble as a people, as a race. We're in trouble. Our lives are in turmoil. Maybe ours in this room. But certainly as a people, as a race, the world is in trouble. People's lives are broken. Families are broken. People are distressed. They live under stress. They're filled with anxiety and fears. They have all kinds of uh, ambitions and motivations that push them and pull them in multiple directions. Some are estranged. Others are actually at war, even with ancient peoples that they might even have been related to centuries before. Now they're fighting one another over one thing or another. All you have to do is read the news or listen to the news on television to realize that our world today is in trouble. And in our own individual lives, in our personal lives, uh, we, we find that we have habits that we hate. We have things that we do that annoy us, or they annoy all the people around us. We've made mistakes, and some of them have been incredibly costly. We've had tragedies. Our lives have been broken in different directions. For some of us, relationships are strained and damaged. People we love are not speaking to us. For others, there's the ravages of one form or another of emotional uh, distress and frustration that we throw pills at it, but it doesn't ultimately solve the problem. This is the brokenness of our will. A will that is in bondage to the power of sin. That can do nothing other than sin when given the opportunity. That's what Paul explains in Romans to us, that we are all lost and in the bondage of the power of sin, the law of sin and death. He doesn't mean a rule like the Ten Commandments. He means a law like gravity. It pulls us down. If you jump off of a step, you're going to go down. You're not going to jump up and stay up at any time, ever. It will never happen. If you jump off a building, you're going down. There's a law of gravity that pulls you down. There's a law of sin and death that pulls us down. Our wills are in bondage. We need a release. We need to be set free. We have damage in our hearts and minds and souls. We, we have thinking that has been skewed by things people have said to us and lies that we've believed and lies that we've told ourselves and rationalisms that we have used to explain ourselves to ourselves in the best light possible. But the reality is, is that we're just fooling ourselves and no one else. 
We need someone to open our mind to truth. And Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need someone to heal our past, to heal our memories, to give us peace, to restore not an inflated self-image that is based on some kind of uh, false admiration of our abilities, but a genuine self-image that comes before a holy God and says, I'm broken, and I'm lost, and I'm undone, and, and I am deserving of hell, but you have loved me with an everlasting love, and I am special to you, and you sent your Son to die for me, and I mean something. And to walk humbly with God because we have awakened to the value that He has placed on our lives and the willingness in Jesus Christ to wipe away the past and to forgive our sin. We need a resurrection. It is the resurrection that makes transformation possible. The Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, if Christ is not raised, then your Christian faith and hope is worthless. You're still dead in your sins. You're still lost. There is no hope. We are miserable, stupid, foolish people. If Jesus is in the grave, we are fools. We're deluded. We deserve everything the world hurls at us because we're, we're beyond help mentally. And our life is hopeless. But that is not the truth. The reality is that Jesus Christ is risen. And because He is risen, we have the opportunity for transformation in our lives. He has been made to us Wisdom and righteousness and holiness. He can change us and deliver us and free us from the power of sin. Paul expresses in Romans chapter 6 that we are freed from sin's power by the grace of God through the cross so that we don't have to walk under its control anymore. The good news is today in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you can be different you don't have to live the way you've always lived. You don't have to live under the curse. You don't have to live in bondage. You can be free. You can be delivered. You can be released. The good news of the Gospel is you don't have to stay the same. Boy, for many of us, that's good news. If you haven't come to that point yet, actually I feel sorry for you because it means you haven't, you haven't gone long enough in life to come to the awakening of reality. And when you look in the mirror, it's not something pretty that you see. But Jesus can change that. Jesus can resurrect that. Jesus can turn that bitterness into sweetness. He can turn that brokenness into healing. He can turn those memories into a foundation for a life of empathy and compassion. He can turn those habits and release you and free you from them and transform you into one who has godly habits. You can go to bed at night and hear the Lord say as you 
Conclude your day in prayer. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You can sleep in peace because Jesus Christ has transformed your life. We need not only to be resurrected in spirit, we need our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions to be healed by the Lord. And that is possible in His resurrection power. But I'll tell you another area where we need resurrection. (laughs) The soul that sins, it will die. And it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that a judgment. I remember as a young fellow, I was probably 13 or 14, my dad was in the hospital and he was dying of colon cancer. And I was in one of those pensive moods, which were quite frequent for me in those days, uh, somewhere between depression and lost in thought. And I walked outside of Tampa General Hospital, and I was walking uh, down the sidewalk, and uh, there was, um, could have been two sisters, an older woman, a younger woman, walking not far from me. And they were talking about, I guess, a similar situation. And the older one was trying to give some consolation. I didn't find what she said very consoling. I heard her say as we crossed our paths, Honey, we was born to die. And I thought, wow, that's dismal. But the reality is that from the moment of our birth, We're dying. Our days are ticking off. Our heartbeats are moving by. These bodies of ours, every several years, are sloughing off all their cells, and they eventually lose the ability to rejuvenate and to grow, and we begin to deteriorate, and then one day there's a grave. And we're all headed there. But Jesus is the resurrection. He is the one who has promised that though your body dies, you will never die. If you live and believe in me, you will never die. And in the last day, you will be raised up. There is a resurrection. Not only is there a resurrection of our bodies from the ground in the future, but there is a present application of that resurrection power available to us now. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that if the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will also quicken, energize, give life, to your mortal bodies through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. I want to tell you, friends, I laid hold of that promise this past week. I was so grateful for the many people that came by and the elders of our church that came on a couple of occasions and a pastor friend from another congregation and they brought oil and anointed me in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up in the resurrection 
power because he is the one who gives life and energy even to our mortal bodies. Friends, whatever you need this morning, if you're still lost in your sin and separated from God, you need the resurrection that is in Jesus. You need Jesus, the resurrection and the life. If your life is broken and you have a turmoil and difficulties and you're facing struggles and life has beat you down, you need Jesus, the resurrection and the life. If you're sick or if you're facing the inevitable future when all of us one day will succumb to the advancing of age and the deterioration of these bodies, there is a promise that there is healing and there is hope. And even when we come to the end of our days and we've run our course, there is resurrection in Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. And we can comfort each other and encourage each other with those words because we do not sorrow like those who have absolutely no hope. We have the resurrection, and the life. You know, Martha had her doctrine straight, but she did not know Jesus deeply. She knew him well on one level, but she did not know him, the resurrection, and the life. It showed up at the grave when she said, don't take that stone off, he stinks. Never dreaming that this one could call forth a man who had been in the grave for four days. I first heard it from a gospel quartet. I, I thought it was a little cheeky, but then I read it in a number of commentators this week that it was significant that he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Because had he not called the name Lazarus, the whole realm of the dead would have emptied the graves. So great is his power. Yes, and one day he will return with a shout and the dead in Christ will be raised and those of us who are alive at that moment will be caught up together with them to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Whatever your need this morning, whatever your fear, whatever your concern, it's not right doctrine you need. It's not good theology, as important as that is as a foundation. You need to know the resurrection and the life you need Jesus it's not about him it is him we need Jesus and you come to him and he will empower you I want to tell you ladies and gentlemen I stood back there this morning I asked someone to pray for me I was not steady on my feet I haven't felt one second of unsteadiness as I've stood here to bring the message this morning. 
and my testimony was then, I am trusting the resurrection. I'm preaching about the one who is the resurrection. I'm trusting the resurrection in the life. He is the resurrection. Whatever your need, whatever is missing in your life today, Jesus is the one who can raise the dead in you and bring you back to life and give you everlasting life. If you've never made that decision for him, would you give him the opportunity to speak to you right now? Hear him say to you, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I will transform you. I will bring you to life. I'll give you a relationship with God. I'll renew you. Whatever you need, He is available to you. God gives us redemptive moments. if you put it on the floor and step on it real hard. <laughs> it, <it'll st> <laughs> it's God talking to you. The real one. Is he talking to you? Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room that needs to make that surrendered commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ today to be born again and renewed in their life unto you. Would you give them faith in this moment to believe in you who are the resurrection and the life? If there are those here this morning that have been struggling along life's journey beaten down and wearied by frustration and failure and dismay over their own bondage and things they can't lick or conquer, would you speak to them today that you are their hope, you can transform them, you are the resurrection. And Father, we give you praise today that death could not hold our Savior. He has paid for sin, and now he has come out of the grave, and he is risen indeed, and he is our resurrection and our life. And we who live and believe in him will never die. And one day we will be reunited with our bodies in resurrected glory. And we will dwell eternally in your presence. Restored families, restored relationships, glad reunions, the hope of eternity. Oh, Lord, 
encourage us with those words and may no one here miss that. Call them to yourself, the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.